All right, Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look tonight at God's control of life. There may be some powerful positions that you would love to have, or maybe you're glad you don't have, like a president of a company or a, a country. Or some people, if you come to church, you're like, man, I wish I could stand up in front of people for 45 minutes and everybody listen to me. <laughs> um, and so we like we like control. And uh, but what we realize is with life on earth that we are not in control, but there is a God in heaven who is in control. And Genesis 2, um, we have in verse 7 that life and death, um, that God controls life. And so what we're going to do tonight in preparation for Sunday is look at all the resurrections of the Bible. And uh, so, uh, and God is the author of life and death. So Genesis 2, 7, God alone can make something inanimate alive. Genesis 2, 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust uh, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. Remember the days when you and I were kids and we would play in the dirt. We'd make mud pies. We'd make uh, things. If you had sand, a sandbox, you would make things, uh, try to make a sand castle or roads or things. But you know, what we could never do, we could never make something even small come to life. Uh, Disney has made Pinocchio come to life, who was just a marionette. He was just wood. And uh, by magic, he came to life. <laughs> but we know that was fiction. But this is true. God formed man from the dust of the ground. Just dirt. <laughs> you go out here, you look at dirt, it's very unimpressive. And God put the breath of life in man. Only God can do that. God controls life. Only God can make something inanimate come to life. Deuteronomy, we'll look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, there is a song. And this song, I'm going to assume, was sung as we would sing songs like Amazing Grace uh, or other well-known songs that a lot of people in our culture know. Uh, this song, uh, Deuteronomy 32, was so well-known and taught that we'll see later, uh, about four to 500 years later at least, but a very wicked king knows this song. And this song is at the end of Deuteronomy that Moses teaches the children of Israel. And from what we can tell in the Old Testament, they pass it down from generation, generation, generation. And uh, two other people quote part of this song and the, the part that we're going to look at uh, there's two parts here one is that God can make something uh, come to life and we're in Deuteronomy uh, 32 and verse 18 and this is a song a poem that the Israelites would sing it says here that you were mindful uh, the the children of Israel their fathers you were mindful of the rock that bore you. Notice rock is capitalized. This is God. And you forgot the God who gave you birth. So God brings um, the children of Israel to life. God gives birth. 
And then if you look at uh, chapter 32 and verse 39, 39 says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God besides me. So this is God. They're, they're singing this and God is speaking. Um, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So killing and making alive. God knows the time of our birth. We didn't choose that. And uh, there are people desperately today that want to choose the time of their death and euthanasia. You can go to many countries in the world uh, that will, if you want to, they call it death with dignity. Uh, that is uh, people trying to take their life in their own hands. But God is the author of life, and he's the author of death. So God can make something um, alive. God alone chooses life and death for every person. So I kill and make alive. That is an important phrase in verse 39. And let's go toward the New Testament. Let's stop at 1 Samuel 2. In 1 Samuel 2, Hannah's prayer and song when she finds out that she's going to have a son, when she gives uh, the son Samuel back to the Lord, she worships the Lord with her husband and leaves Samuel in the Lord's service. And she sings this wonderful, or says this wonderful prayer in, uh, that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel 2, 1 to 10. And in verse 6, she quotes, uh, and this is how many years after Samuel probably lives about 300 years after this song is written uh, in Deuteronomy 32, that Samuel is alive around 1100. Uh, he anoints Saul and David as king. So uh, after 1100, and the song was written in 1400 BC. And so she says in verse six, the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up and in the middle of this song of praise to the Lord, she refers to Deuteronomy 32, um, 39. And then 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. What's fascinating about this story, and I mentioned it Sunday, that all the servants in this story and the kings are, and the powerful person like Naaman are just... Kind of a side story to his name and story, but Naaman has to listen to his servants and he listens to servant after servant after servant and eventually he gets healed. But he goes to the king of Israel and the king of Syria, where he is the captain of his army, sends a letter with Naaman to the king of Israel. Now they're king to king and they're in battles um, constantly. So they're at war and but he goes at a time of peace. In verse 6 of 2 Kings 5, and he, Naaman, uh, brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. <laughs> and he comes to the king, and the king of Israel is not named, but it's Ahab, the worst king of the nation of Israel in their history. And Ahab, when he gets Naaman, the Syrian commander, in his presence with this letter, Let's see what he says in verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes, a sign of mourning, and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? 
that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. Now, Ahab lives uh, probably 200 years after Samuel, 500 years after Deuteronomy 32 is written, and Ahab, not known for his godliness, refers to this song. It is God who kills and makes alive. God alone does this, and he says, he quotes this, uh, a little part of it. So I'm assuming Ahab knows at least part of Deuteronomy 32, and uh, 500 years later, there are very few songs that we sing now that are 500 years old. Maybe A Mighty Fortress is Our God, uh, maybe a few others that you might know. Um, but songs that last that long are, are rich, and um, we're glad to sing the same songs that people like Martin Luther, Luther sang. So God alone chooses life and death for every person. And uh, when Naaman comes, uh, Ahab uh, quotes Deuteronomy 32. We're going to go back now um, to the first resurrection. Remember last week we looked at Abraham's and Isaac's story? And that Abraham was willing to offer Isaac, and Hebrews 11 said that he was willing to, off, to offer Isaac, thinking that he, God would raise Isaac from the dead. That We have that from Hebrews 11. That's what Abraham was thinking. But we know that God stopped the sacrifice and provided a substitute. And um, so Abraham had no, no uh, resurrections uh, ever that he had thought of. Uh, never heard of it, never written about it. We get to Elijah's story in 1 Kings 17, and Elijah is the first one that God uses to raise somebody from the dead. 1 Kings 17, 22. Only God and his power, God alone, can make the dead resurrect. So the widow of Zarephath is who he is staying with. She is poor destitute uh, god provides for her oil and then her son uh, dies and um we'll pick it up in verse 19 and he elijah says to the widow um give me your son and he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed he cried to the lord O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. This is remarkable because Elijah has no history. There is no resurrections before this. And this is over 3,000 years from creation. But this is closer in our time than elijah was to adam and eve okay so all of the resurrections happen in the bible from elijah's time to right after jesus uh, ascends so in about a span of eight to nine hundred years all the resurrections in the bible happen until our future right um so elijah calls on the lord and verse 22 and the lord listened to the voice of elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. The word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. 
So the widow of Zarephath, first resurrection of scripture. The second is Elisha back in 2 Kings 4. Just look at 2 Kings 5. 2 Kings 4, the chapter before Naaman, is the Shunammite woman known for her hospitality, made a room for Elisha to stay in, and Gehazi, her, his uh, servant. And they couldn't have children, and um, miraculously, Elisha um, finds out that she wants to have a child, and so she miraculously, like uh, Hannah, like uh, several other ladies in Scripture, has uh, a son. And look at verse 18 of 2 Kings 4. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head, whether he fell and hurt his head, or whether he had like a brain aneurysm or some something happened in his brain, but he um, isn't going to live. And the, the father says to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him up and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed, the man of God. And it sounds very similar. She goes and finds Elisha. He comes back. He stretches. He prays to the Lord in verse 33. Prays to the Lord and uh, stretches on the child again. The child starts becoming warm. Verse 35, then he got up again and walked back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon the child. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when he came, he said, pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. She picked up her son and went out. What a glorious day for these two ladies that their sons were resurrected. So that's the widow's son of Zarephath, the Shunammite woman's son. And then you remember what Elisha was promised before Elijah goes to heaven. Elisha says to Elijah, give me double portion of your spirit. So the, a double portion, whatever that means, it's double, whatever Elijah has. And so if the two resurrections in scripture are Elijah, Elisha, we would expect Elisha to maybe have a second. So Elisha dies. They bury him in 2 Kings 13, uh, the story that you might know as well. That Elisha dies. They put him in a uh, cave like they would. Uh, sounds like the time of Christ as well. Uh, verse 20 of 2 Kings 13. So Elisha dies and they buried him. Now the band of the Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, Behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was uh, the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. So here they are carrying this guy's body, and they see they see the army coming, and like we don't have time to bury this guy. He just open up that 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 one will work, and they throw him in. And then as he touches the bones of Elisha, he walks out. Okay, you may think, and I have thought this as a, as you read through the New Testament, and Jesus raises uh, the widow of. Um, the widow of Nain's son, Jairus's daughter, and we know Lazarus, okay? You may think that, oh, yeah, well, in the Bible, resurrections happen all the time. <laughs> it was just as, it would, it would be just as um, odd and unusual if someone today resurrected from the dead. Everyone around would be like, no way, this does not happen. Okay, the widow of Zarephath, uh, son, first resurrection in the history of humanity. 
It's recorded for us to read it like, oh, it's no big deal. It was a huge deal. The other, the Shunammite woman's son, another huge deal. And this guy, all he has to do is touch Elisha's bones when they throw his body quickly to, to get rid of it so they can go hide uh, from this uh, invading uh, band of, of warriors. And, and this man comes back to life. Now, I said this this morning, if you were thinking like, maybe, maybe we should just throw a bunch more people in there <laughs> and no, that, that didn't happen. And, uh, but it's interesting that when these people, the widow of Zarephath, the Shunammite woman, and we're not, we're not told about the man, this, the background of this man's story, when they um, cry out to the Lord, when Elijah and Elisha, it's very clear that God raises, uh, that the, the Lord is the one who makes the dead resurrect. And those are the only three resurrections in the Old Testament. So this is 800 to 900 years before Jesus and no resurrections. And we get to the New Testament. And then you'll see in Luke 7, the widow of Nain's son was resurrected. And this is a public resurrection. Jairus's daughter, you remember the story in Luke eight <clears throat> that it was a private resurrection and the disciples who saw it weren't allowed to say anything and no one else was allowed to say anything so some people may have thought she just got sick and uh, jesus uh, healed her from her sickness but she was actually dead and they did have a few flute players and mourners there and they laughed at jesus whenever he said uh, that she was just sleeping but in luke 7 and luke 8 the widow of nain's son is resurrected jairus's daughter is resurrected and then Lazarus's resurrection is also very public. So the, the word is spreading around Jerusalem, Judea, and their surrounding areas that someone who can raise the dead is here. So it, if you were didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, and all you knew was the Old Testament, you'd say, this guy sounds like Elijah or Elisha, which whenever the disciples were asked, who do men say that I am? That's what they came up with okay so it doesn't it is logical what people were thinking if you rejected jesus as messiah but jesus alone can make the dead resurrect and if jesus can make the dead resurrect what does he say before he resurrects uh, lazarus to martha i am the resurrection and the life elijah and elisha were not the i am the Bible says in, in Kings that they called out to the Lord. All caps, Lord, is Jehovah. That's the I am. They cried out to the Lord, and the Lord resurrected those boys. And when it comes to Jesus, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, they did not like it. Why didn't they like it? Who better to lead a country and follow than someone who could even raise the dead? Well, let's go to the story in Luke 16 of the people that hated Jesus. So much so that he had to tell many stories to try to get their attention. In Luke 16, we have a story. Of... Abraham comforting the man Lazarus, not the same, not the same Lazarus who is resurrected, and the rich man, the rich man and Lazarus. And we're going to assume that he's telling this story 
to get the Pharisees' attention, if you look at chapter 16, verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And then Jesus, and after that, there's no other mention to who he's addressing. Um, as you see in chapter 17, verse 1, he's talking to his disciples now. So he is likely telling this story where they would identify with the rich man. Okay, so many of the Pharisees, wealthy people, uh, wealthy men. And so Jesus is telling this story in their presence to get their attention. And this rich man, we know he goes to hell and he's in torment and Lazarus is comforted. And, and Abraham, Lazarus doesn't say anything in the story, but Abraham and the, and the rich man have this conversation. It's a fascinating conversation. It's the only conversation we have of two people after death uh, that's in the Bible. And so uh, we we know that there is a, a resurrection, but what the rich man wants is an immediate resurrection of Lazarus so that his five brothers will believe and trust in Jesus. And Jesus is, or Abraham is, knows the ways of God, knows the power of God. And look at verse 29. Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And the rich man says, no, my father Abraham, but if someone were to go to them from the dead, they will repent. A logical thought process. But you know, Luke 16 is after Luke 7 and 8. And these men probably knew about the widow of Nain's son, who was resurrected the funeral procession stopped the box was open and jesus picked this boy up out of the casket okay, and that was in public <laughs> and then when they see and hear about lazarus being resurrected they're not repenting what are they think what are they doing what is their plan after lazarus is resurrected we're gonna kill lazarus and jesus what you're gonna kill that you're going to try to kill the I am. Okay, so what does Moses or what does uh, Abraham say to them? No, if they, verse 31, here he said to him, uh, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And those Pharisees, if Jesus stopped and said to them, would you guys be convinced if someone rose from the dead? They would have to be thinking, <laughs> it puts them on the spot, right? But Jesus doesn't say that. I, I, I'm thinking that, right? They aren't going to be convinced. They aren't convinced with Lazarus. And then what do they do when Jesus resurrects in Matthew 28? Do they repent? No, what do they <laughs> They lie. Okay, so they try to kill Lazarus, and that didn't work. And then Jesus resurrects, and they know he's resurrected because of the eyewitness account of the uh, soldiers they're not making it up and and they say okay here's some money let's go lie they didn't repent resurrections are powerful but god's word is what people need now if we had to rely on resurrections to get people to repent we'd be like i can't we can't raise people from the dead but if we have moses and the prophets and we do right here if we have a full Bible about who Jesus is, and we do, this is the most powerful testimony of the power of God to cause people to repent. So we need to know it and we need to use it. It's not spectacular like a resurrection, but it's more powerful. 
And so that is uh, the resurrections. There are three resurrections before Jesus comes. There are three resurrections after Jesus comes. I'll let you guys think of them. In the book of Acts, there's two. One by Peter, one by Paul. Dorcas, yes, or Tabitha, yep, that is Peter's resurrection, and that's in Acts 9. Yeah. Right, yeah, I, I've learned from Paul how to be long-winded. <laughs> and so, yeah, so there was a second-floor window, it sounded like, and Eutychus sitting in the window, he falls asleep because he's preaching all night, okay? I have never preached all night, and you guys have probably never been to an all-night service, but so tired, he falls out, he falls down dead. Paul says, oh, no, <laughs> we can't have someone die. Uh, and he goes down and he's able to erase it. But only Peter once, Paul once. And then in Revelation, there's two witnesses uh, during the tribulation that they are. We don't know their names. There's speculation who they are. But when they are killed in Jerusalem, uh, after a couple of days, they are resurrected and taken back to heaven. So those are the only three resurrection accounts after. So you can see that there are resurrections jesus performs three of them but let me show you something in matthew 27 in matthew 27 um there are more than three resurrections that happen with the power of jesus death matthew's the only one that records this matthew 27 and the uh, near the end of it uh verse 52 and 53 Jesus cries out in verse 50 with a loud voice, yields up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. We are not told a number, but it's not a few. It's many. This is remarkable. And they stay in their tombs for three days. Look what it says. Uh, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and appeared to many. And all of the uh, family members are so glad to see them. They're probably like, whenever Peter was uh, released from, nah, it's just his ghost, as the bride. <laughs> like, don't open the door. Uh, they probably had to be convinced uh, that, that it was actually them. All right, so... Christ's death caused many resurrections. Like he, he, he destroys death with his death and obvious, uh, undeniable uh, proof of that is that there were many resurrected people that instant. It's fascinating. We don't have their names. We don't have any other details other than what you have here in Matthew. So, God's power can make the dead resurrect. Christ's death, this is the greatest death, and then life. You know, everybody that was resurrected, except for in Revelation, everybody that was resurrected died again. Lazarus, after he came out of the tomb, isn't still alive. Uh, Dorcas and Eutychus and the widow's sons and, and Shunammite's son, uh, they're not still alive. They died again. Uh, that's interesting. We talked like that seems unfair. Like, okay, uh, would you want to go from the presence of God back to earth? 
we talked about this a little bit this morning. I said, okay, so if you're in the presence of God and you're perfect and a perfect God says, you know what? You can glorify my son, Lazarus. If you go back, you'll say, here am I, send me. Why? Because that's what you do in heaven. You perfectly obey the father and whatever glorifies the father, you're going to do. And then tell Lazarus that you're going to kill him. He's like, oh, been there, done that. <laughs> you can't. You're not going to threaten Lazarus anymore or anyone else who has died and resurrected and is going to is going to die again uh, from old age or disease at the end of life. And so not death is not not nothing to fear for those who were resurrected. I'm going to also assume that only saints were resurrected. Uh, the rich man, anyone else who didn't know God, if they were resurrected and could have a chance to repent. They absolutely would have, like the rich man and Lazarus story. So I'm assuming only believers were resurrected uh, in Scripture. And then we're going to look uh, one more passage, and, and then we'll pray. First uh, Corinthians 15, and First Corinthians 15, the greatest resurrection chapter of our New Testament. Christ's death caused many resurrection, and God used Christ's death and resurrection to destroy death. Many, many people fear death. It is the number one probably thing that people fear. Um, you hear fear of public speaking, but compared to death, you're like, oh yes, put me in front of somebody uh, before you kill me, right? So um, we all have a healthy fear of death, but there are people who are terrified of death terrified but let's see what we are to learn from first corinthians 15 because christ is resurrected verse 50 i tell you this brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable that's these physical bodies inherit the imperishable which is heaven behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body that's wearing out uh, must put on um, the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. We don't have time to look at all that uh, and, and, and break it out. But verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's death and Christ's resurrection takes all of the sting out of death. It destroys death. Death has no victory. Death is like... Um, a what do you call a bee that loses its stinger it's just a bug it's no longer to be feared as something that can cause harm it's just an insect and death when christ conquered death takes the sting out of it and we no longer have to fear it anymore of course we don't like to be separated from our family of course we don't want our family to be separated from us but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ Christ's death is the greatest death and destroyed death. 
The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. And Christ conquered sin and death. And the law perfectly obeyed the law and therefore destroyed, destroyed death. We have much to be thankful for. And we're going to look toward Sunday, even though we're only at Wednesday. We'll have a resurrection or a crucifixion service on Friday. But we're looking forward to Sunday because we know there's more to the story.